0: All right. Uh, didn't say this in the beginning. My name is Terry Sather, one of the elders here, and uh, I'll be preaching today. Uh, as was said earlier, we have a uh, search for a uh, full-time teaching pastor, and in that search, uh, we've got several who are preaching. So in the next two weeks, we'll have Greg Fields, uh, who will be uh, delivering God's Word. All right. So if you would uh, stand with me in the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading from uh, Philippians 2. Verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You may be seated. So we'll give you a little bit of an outline of where we're going to go today. Initially, we're going to review uh, Paul's journey of his imprisonment and how that took him into Rome and the assistance that he was going to need there. Uh, We'll also be looking at how the church at Philippi, uh, especially through Epaphroditus, uh, was uh, serving Paul. We'll take a look at Timothy and Epaphroditus and uh, see how they follow the example of Christ and how they're consistent with the the charge that Paul had just given to the Philippians just prior to this. We'll consider how we are to move and we'll consider how their example of service is consistent with the role of deacons in the body of Christ. So, to begin with, uh, we believe that Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he writes... Philippians, Philippians, uh, this missionary support letter to the church at Philippi. So I thought we might go back and, uh, and, and track how he got there and what all was involved uh, to gain a little context of the situation uh, that Paul was in at this time. And so we have a map. Uh, just wanted to kind of give a picture of how far we're talking here. So Philippi is in Greece, and then we have Italy. Uh, uh, Rome is in Italy. And so that distance, just as the crow flies, you're talking 700 miles or so, uh, to get there, depending on the route, would have been anywhere between 800 to 1,200 miles, depending on how you go, and it would, probably would have involved uh, crossing water as well. So given that route, it may have taken anywhere from six weeks to three months to make that journey uh, from Philippi to Rome. And so for a little perspective, my home in Cattle Mills, from there, if you travel to Atlanta, Georgia, that's 800 miles. So that's just a little perspective on how far we're talking here. This is no short journey. Uh, They didn't have phones. If you wanted to send somebody some money and give them some help, there was no Venmo, there was no cash app. You had to physically deliver that, right? Uh, They only had messengers that could physically travel to share communication or share a gift, right? So I want you to think about it. If you have a letter uh, that you're going to send you can't really have a dialogue. Uh, You wanna send a trusted messenger that uh, is with that letter that you know, that's reliable, that may know the details, that may be able to answer some questions or provide some clarification to what that letter says. Also, if you have, let's say, a box of gold or silver or money at that time, uh, how comfortable are you gonna be entrusting it to a package carrier for international delivery. So I've seen delivery boxes at my house anyway, and how they show up, they're crumpled up, they have holes punched in them, uh, they may be broken open, and sometimes they tape them back. Uh, So I have to think that delivery back then may have been a lot less reliable, and so you better know who the carrier is for that, right? So let's take a look at... uh, I'm going to just briefly summarize a big section of of Scripture, Acts 21 through 28, just to see how it is that Paul got from uh, where he was to where he ended up in Rome. So initially, some Jews who were from Asia dragged Paul out of the temple, created quite a stir. They brought false allegations against him. Uh, They were violent. They wanted to kill him. And the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias arrested him and was going to flog him with whips to try to get to the truth of what this conflict was about that he was having. Uh, During this time, Paul revealed that he's a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens were not to be treated this way, and so uh, they ended up not flogging him at that time. And he was given the opportunity to make a defense before the council of Pharisees and Sadducees. A plot to kill him developed, and so he was sent by Claudius Lysias for his own safety— to Caesarea, which actually wasn't far uh, from Jerusalem, and sent to the custody of Felix the governor. Now, Felix's wife was Jewish, and uh, desiring to do the Jews a favor, uh, he left Paul in prison for about two years. And at the end of two years, uh, uh, during that time, uh, Felix gave orders that he should be kept in custody, but he should have some liberty so that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So he was essentially under house arrest, and this detail is important uh, because there is needed provision for him during that time that we're going to see. So after this two years uh, of being uh, imprisoned, house arrest under Felix, uh, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. So Festus heard, uh, you know, coming into power there, he, he heard that uh, the Jews uh, had it out for Paul, so he wanted to hear from them once again. And so the Jews showed up once again. Paul had an opportunity to give his defense once again. Festus found no fault in him and didn't really know what to do with him. Uh, and he, he wanted to do the Jews a favor as well. And so he offered Paul to be sent back to trial in Jerusalem. However, Paul, uh, seeing that Jewish injustice would have killed him in Jerusalem... Uh, and two, appealing to Caesar would allow him to fall under Roman law, which, had not, which he had not broken. And three, it would allow him greater time to present the gospel to the Gentiles, which God had told him would be uh, afforded to him. Paul decided to appeal to Caesar, which at that time was Emperor Nemo. N- not Nemo. <laughs> Nemo, yeah. Emperor Nero. Let's get that right. <laughs> so within days... King Agrippa came to Caesarea and also wanted to hear uh, his case. Uh, and so Paul presented his defense once again. And he shared the hope that he has in Christ to King Agrippa. King Agrippa said to Paul that he could have been released once again. He's really not broken any Roman law uh, had he not appealed to Caesar. But since he would appealed to Caesar, off he's going to go to Caesar. So at that time, prisoner Paul sailed for Rome... They ran into a storm. They were shipwrecked on Malta, and during this time, he was able to testify to the Lord's ability to save them. Once again, a faithful witness to the Father. After several months, Paul arrives in Rome, and he was allowed to stay by himself uh, with the Praetorian Guard soldier that guarded him. And so he wasn't thrown into a, a dungeon with a, a bunch of people that you know. He he, he had an opportunity to uh, have the freedom to stay alone with the, with the Praetorian Guard soldier. However, he also had the opportunity for others to come to tend to his needs and, and to speak to them. So it was a, a great opportunity for him. The local Roman leaders of the Jews hadn't heard all the details of what had happened back in Jerusalem. And so they came to him wanting to hear all that he had to say. And so he was able to expound to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus and some were convinced so we see in Acts 28 verses 30 and 31 that he lived there in Rome for two whole years but it was at his expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance something that he wouldn't have had in Jerusalem So this would have put the whole time of his imprisonment uh, from one stop to the next probably around five years. So let's take a look at how the church at Philippi and how Epaphroditus specifically served Paul. Uh, Turn with me to Philippians 4. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 at this point. Give you a second to turn there. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 18 said, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, uh, speaking to the church at Philippi. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So when Paul left on his missionary journey to Macedonia, the church at Philippi, Came alongside. They were the only ones to do that. They provided assistance, they provided funds to help him in that journey. When he went to Thessalonica, once again, they sent financial assistance a second time. And now, at this point, when he's in a Roman jail and he needs funds to cover his rent and to cover his food, because jails there aren't like jails here. You know, if you get put in jail here, uh, your, your food's going to take, be taken care of, your, your, you don't have to pay for your rent, uh, you, ha- you don't have to come up with any funds to, to take care of yourself in, in prison here. But that just wasn't the case at that time. And so Paul had a need. He had to cover his rent, he had to cover his food, and once again, the church at Philippi provided for him. Unless Paul would have had considerable resources with him, Paul could not have provided for himself for the years that he was imprisoned. So church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus... Who was their messenger and delivered the gifts that they had collected? Uh, Paul describes their gifts as being a fragrant offering, sweet and aromatic, and they were sacrificial. They were sacrificial because they had given over and over and over again, and there was no small amount that they gave. Uh, consider what that might have looked like. If you have to cover your rent and your food for two whole years, how great is that need? Paul shares a good report to them uh, in Philippians 4, verses 22. That report says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So this must have been particularly encouraging to the church at Philippi for them to hear this, because Paul's imprisonment in Rome resulted in the gospel being preached and those in Caesar's household coming to faith. The Philippians were able to see that their considerable investment was fruitful. In Philippians 2, Paul had just presented Jesus as the obedient, humble servant, and he had just appealed to the people at Philippi to follow Jesus' example. Paul charged them to consider their, the interests of others, to count them more significant than yourself, to work out your own salvation in obedience, to shine in a dark world, and to hold fast to the word of life. And now he gives two fine examples uh, of doing this well, that being Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's look at Timothy. First one's Timothy. We're going to look at how Paul describes Timothy, both in this passage and some other passages as well. So we know that that, Paul, uh, that Timothy was Paul's protege. Uh, he had brought Timothy alongside him. He had spent years pouring into him as a son. And Timothy was much younger, and so he was, he was training, him, training him, bringing him alongside, uh, equipping him to do this work. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul describes him as a brother and as God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Paul sent him to Thessalonica, about 100 miles away from Philippi in Greece, and he sent him to establish and to exhort the Thessalicans in their faith. Paul sends Timothy, who he calls his faithful child, to remind him of Paul's ways in Christ. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So in some ways, Timothy was saying, imitate me as I imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul commends him for following his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, His faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, and endurance in suffering and persecution. In Philippians 2, Paul says that there is no one like Timothy. He has genuine concern. He's not fake. He's not selfish. He's selfless. And he truly looks out for the interests of others. Paul hopes to send Timothy, who has been so faithful... To, to, to Philippi, and he hopes to do that soon in order to share word about Paul's status and whether he would be released from his imprisonment. However, at this point, Paul wasn't sure uh, how it was going to go, whether he was going to be imprisoned longer or whether he was going to be freed. And so you don't really want to send uh, Timothy with word of, hey, this is where he is, and then not long after that have new word, then have to send another messenger that big, long trip of uh, hundreds of miles, right? And so he was holding on to Timothy there, waiting for the final answer of how Paul would be, uh, so that Paul and Timothy could send word. Uh, instead, with this letter, he sends Epaphroditus. So in looking at Epaphroditus, we know that Epaphroditus was a citizen of Philippi, so he was actually a, a member of this church. And I've seen some commentaries that suggest that he was the pastor there, but it isn't explicitly stated in this passage. But we do know that he was a member of the church and the citizen of Philippi. Epaphroditus was sent as a messenger, and he was sent as a carrier of gifts from Philippi to Paul in Rome. But he was much more than a messenger. He was much more than a deliverer of financial assistance. Paul calls him a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier, and a messenger and minister to my need. In Philippians 2, verse 30, Paul tells the Philippian church that Epaphroditus risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to risk your life? How was he risking his life? Um, we can look at Philippians 4, verse 10, where, it says, uh, where, where Paul says, "'You Philippians were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity.'" They wanted to care for Paul, and they wanted to support him financially, and they just lacked the means to get it there. And Epaphroditus was willing to go and willing to deliver it, making complete their contribution to Paul. In Philippians 2, verse 26, Epaphroditus became ill, and he nearly died. We aren't told the nature of his illness, uh, but consider this time frame for just a moment. If he became ill while he was in Rome a messenger had to be sent back to Philippi to let them know. And then from there, word had to be sent from Philippi back to Rome, sharing their concern for him in order for him to be uh, distressed about that, right? So he may have been sick for three to six months uh, because that's how long it's going to take for someone to go back and to come back and give word. And so this was probably a, a considerable illness. He talks about it being, being near to death. This was no small thing. Epaphroditus was distressed because he had had heard that those in Philippi were concerned for him. So to be distressed because someone is concerned for you shows a strong relationship there. It shows that he loved the people there and that they loved him. He was also close to Paul, so close to Paul, that should Epaphroditus have died, Paul says that he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Paul must have known him well must have known him for a long time. They must have had plenty of time together, probably previously, as well as during Paul's imprisonment, so that they had developed a great love for one another and a fondness for one another. He was much more than a messenger, much more than a delivery guy. You don't have that kind of relationship or closeness with your Amazon delivery guy, do you? So, Philippians 2, verse 30, it talks about how Epaphroditus risked his life in service for Paul, and for the forward movement of the gospel. So I ask, how risky was it? You have to consider several factors of how this was risky. One, international travel was not safe. Um, There were no interstate highways where you could just hop on and travel 70 miles an hour and not really have contact with other people for long periods of time. There was no safe at the Holiday Inn to store valuables. And so if he was taking money... He had to be responsible for that and cover that and make sure no one got that. There was no 911 if you run into trouble and call and somebody just shows up to help take care of your need. There was no roadside urgent care to stop in and pick up some antibiotics if you get sick. If he was sent with a large amount of money, we, we aren't told how much that was, uh, but if the church at Philippi is sending a guy on a trip that's going to last for months and it's going to put him at risk, you have to think that uh, there's no small amount here. If it's going to cover Paul's food and his rent for a significant period of time, you have to think this is a significant amount of money. Now, I don't know what that is, but imagine traveling today. Let's say you're going to be going on a long trip internationally, and let's say you've got $30,000 with you. Just throwing a number out there. You probably wouldn't even consider doing that, just carrying 30000 in cash. But if you did, I bet you'd be more than just a little bit nervous in doing so. There's no doubt a trip like this is going to be risky. Epaphroditus loved much. Epaphroditus risked much. Epaphroditus was faithful in much. Paul says to honor such men. Now Paul has seen that the blessing of having faithful men like Timothy and Epaphroditus and how their work produced good fruit, he saw that. And I'm certain that this is just another reason for his strong exhortation in the first half of chapter 2 to move in a way consistent with how these guys are moving and how consistent with how Christ is moving. Now, this passage, uh, I had some thoughts through this passage and some things we might need to consider because of this passage. First is that the, quality, the, the qualities that were found in Timothy and Epaphroditus in their service, they're ministering to those in need. In their genuineness, and they're seeking out the interests of others. Sure do sound like a lot. Sure do sound a lot like the role of deacons in the body of Christ. We consider Acts chapter six, verses one through six, uh, as the choosing and the ordination of the first deacons. So let's take a look at that passage. So turn with me in Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter six, verses one through six, and we'll read that together. Acts chapter six, verses one through six. It says, "Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So they were, they were providing food to widows, and there were so many. There was such need. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. So here we see that because of these elders coming on, these deacons coming on board, those who were preaching the word... uh, The elders were freed up to fulfill their roles. They were freed up to to prayer. They were freed up to ministry of the word. And Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see is, as a result of their movement, as a result of their service, as a result of the deacons serving and moving in that way, the word of God continued to increase. Because of their work, the number of disciples multiplied. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So, you know, right now at this time, Crosspoint is currently in the process of adding more deacons. Men who were nominated as deacons were asked if they would be willing to serve. The elders have considered these men who were nominated in light of 1 Timothy chapter 3, which lists the qualifications for deacons. Next week, we will be ordaining two men, Eric Wesson and Alex Bowles, as deacons, to serve this body in an official capacity. We look forward to their growing into these roles and expect that the body will have a similar benefit from their service, joining the other deacons as they show genuine concern for the body. Humbly and lovingly serving the body. Following the examples of Jesus, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Another thing to consider in this passage, I feel like Crosspoint has some similarities to the church at Philippi. We also provide for a member family that's on the other side of the ocean, where they share the gospel, where they testify to the goodness of Jesus, and they build up the body of Christ there, I look forward to an update from them soon, hopefully to hear how things are going and how we can pray for them, and if there is any other way that we can support them. Another similarity I see uh, with Crosspoint uh, and the uh, church at Philippi is that I see movement within the body that's in line with Paul's charge to the Philippians. I touched on some things uh, last week. I want to hit on some others. I see men and women who are serving well and considering the needs of others. I see deacons and others who promptly jump in and help a brother or sister in need and are willing to address benevolence requests when people come with, with their needs. I continue to see families that open their homes to children through fostering and through adoption. I see ladies that bless others by making and delivering meals to those who have had illnesses, who have had surgeries, and even foster child placement in their homes. Caring for other people. I see those who foster children being blessed with supplies uh, that they need to care for those children. I see those who go behind the scenes picking up tasks here on this campus and preparing for services, preparing for baptisms, preparing for events just like today that we're going to have where we eat afterwards. I see those who deliver Meals on Wheels uh, to those in our community who have need. I see those who see an area of ministry and see that there's a need here in this body and are willing to just jump right in, even leading out in that. And there are many others that I haven't even mentioned. And for this, I commend you. I want you to be thinking about those that you see around you. Think about those who are serving well. And when you see their good works, honor them by telling them that you appreciate their service. One other thing we need to consider here is that there is another group that Paul alludes to in Philippians 2, verses 20 and 21. Paul contrasted Timothy with all the others that still seek their own interests and lack genuine concern. Paul suggested that the characteristics found in Timothy were rare. So how should we respond? It would be healthy and it would be appropriate for all of us to spend some time this week in the introspection, in considering how we move, and asking the Lord to reveal to us how He sees our movement. Be willing to ask yourself questions like What are my motives? Do I have genuine concern for others? What would others have to write about in telling of my good service? I wanna be clear. It doesn't have to be huge things. Even texting to another and saying how you're praying for them. Words of encouragement, those are good movement. Another question is do my interests align with Christ's? How far am I willing to go in service toward a brother or a sister? Where do I draw the line? Is there a time limit? Is there a dollar limit? Are there barriers that I'm not willing to cross? How far am I willing to go in furthering the gospel of Christ? Am I too comfortable in my Christianity? Is there anything that I risk in my serving? And I want to make sure I make one thing clear. I'm not saying that everyone needs to serve more. There are some in our body that serve well. And like Paul, they need to have a Timothy to bring alongside them, to share the load, to disciple them, and to eventually hand off to. So maybe that's how some of us need to move. Another question is, is there some area that you, like Epaphroditus, can complete what is lacking in our service? In our service, let's be mindful of our reason for serving. Let's let our service shine as bright lights in the world, pointing to Christ as our only hope. Let's let our service be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father we just come to you. just want to thank you for your work of sanctification in us. We well, want thank you for sanctifying your people, people who have struggled, people who are flawed. Father, we're thankful that you can take broken vessels and make them usable. We thank you for your transformative and your regenerative work. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving examples to us of how we live our lives of love, of service. Father, I just pray that you would help us to see where you are at work. I pray that you would have us join you in that work. Father, I ask that you would help help us and grow us in our love toward one another. Help grow us in unity. Father, I pray that you would heal us Help us to navigate through our past our, our past hurts, our past habits, our past hang-ups, to our walk with you, so that we'll walk better, that we'll walk with our brothers and sisters better. Father, we ask that you would just bless this time uh, that we're going to have in, in fellowship um, after this service, uh, enjoying a meal together. I pray that you would bless that. Father, I ask that our fellowship would be sweet and enriching and loving. Father, I pray you would be with us as we go into this supper. Oh, we're thankful for Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.